Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. Before saying goodbye to the NFC South, we get a chance to take a look at the class of last year's division and the defending NFC champion in the Dirty Birds themselves, the Atlanta Falcons. Can they avoid the Super Bowl hangover or have their wings been clipped? Matt Carroll from bloggingdirty.com joins us on the final NFC South preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. We are in the double digits now. Episode number 10 of 14 preview episodes preparing you and me and the rest of the world for the 2017 regular season. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for the fourth and final NFC South preview of the Chicago Bears of you talking about the the first place finisher and the, the defending NFC champion, as I mentioned uh, in the opening, the Atlanta Falcons, and uh, had a last-minute uh, call to the bullpen. Uh, Nafisa Hussein uh, had to drop out at the last moment, wasn't able to join us, but we were able to get Matt Carley also from bloggingdirty.com uh, to come in and help us out uh, with that. Had a great talk with, uh, with Matt uh, previewing the Falcons. We did touch upon the Super Bowl a bit, uh, talked about the, the game and, and what he went through as a fan basically in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, the Falcons, they, they hit the entire spectrum in that game. I mean, here they were on their way to immortality and, and not only winning the Super Bowl, but beating Brady and the mighty Patriots to do so and making it look easy in the process, only to all of a sudden become the biggest goat in the history of the NFL, uh, in the history of the Super Bowl, I should say, by giving up the biggest lead in the history of the game and losing it in the first ever overtime uh, in Super Bowl history, so I mean, talk about you know from one end of the one end of the spectrum to the other for the uh, Falcons uh, in that football game. So we cover that all, go through the season, talk about the free agency in the draft, and look ahead to the 2017 regular season, which um, starts with us, our beloved Chicago Bears at Soldier Field. You know, the Falcons kick things off on the road against the Bears. Uh, didn't work out so well for them the last time that they did that in 2011. Uh, the Bears squashed the Falcons, something like 30 to 13 or 30 to 10, something like that. But we we put our foot down on the uh, Falcons' throats to start off the uh, start off the year. And you know, you hear me talk to to Matt about it. It's like, hey man, you guys started 0-1 last year and you turned out just fine. So maybe if you could just give us that first one. You know, get the Bears some confidence and get them moving on. Have us not start 0-3 for the third year in a row. That would be pretty great. So 
maybe we can work something out and uh, get a big win over the NFC champs at home to start the season and then figure out the rest uh, from there. So, um, but like I said, had a good talk with, uh, with Matt and we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. Um, yeah, I got to say, man, you know, I, I don't do this. I certainly don't do this uh, for money. I've spent more than I'll ever make, uh, you know, producing this show. I'm a broadcaster by trade. That's what I went to school for. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find my way into the broadcasting world. So I do this as a manner of scratching the itch, you know, if you will. I, you know, this is just what I, what I love to do. And I love sports. I love football. And I love the Bears. So this is the perfect storm for me. And I mentioned last week how the... You know, it wasn't so much the comments and what he said that bothered me, but it was that one star rating that tanked my my overall score on on the iTunes uh, star rating that uh, was really kind of what soured me. You know, it's like he he says that, um, you know, you like the shows during the, the during the regular season. But, you know, these these opponent preview episodes are boring and gave me a one star review just for that and took me down a whole half star. Well, I am proud to say that thanks to. Kahuna thirty eight sixty five and Dewahid W A H I D. Thanks to those two and their five star ratings, I am back up to four and a half stars. So thank you, uh, gentlemen, uh, for your kind words and your comments and for helping me out. Also had a really awesome review on the Podbean app. For those of you who download the show uh, via the the Podbean app, there's a really really great but very long <laughs> uh, comment uh, on the Podbean um, page on the uh, well, actually on the Chicago Bears review in the Podbean app. Uh, if you want to read um, read that, that was really great, and I appreciate everybody's uh, kind words. It was awesome to see that. Just nice to see the troops rally for me on that one. That was really great. So I want to appreciate the and thank all you guys uh, for that. Kind of made my day when I uh, when I noticed that uh, I got my half star back. Uh, after last week's debacle so um thank you all uh for that now real quick before we move on to uh to our talk with uh, matt uh about the uh falcons two really interesting uh headlines i saw uh this week both having to do with brian urlacher uh the first one was that um he thought or thinks not thought but thinks uh that uh, John Fox is the right man for the job as far as leading the Bears ahead. He does expect bigger and better things uh, from the Bears this year, especially on he, he, he believes that the defense is going to be better this year because of what the Bears have gone through the last couple of years with all the young guys being forced into duty because of injury and, and so on and so forth. He thinks that's going to help to have a more battle-tested and battle-ready uh, defense this year. Uh, he does like the look uh, or the cut of the jib of our new quarterback in, in uh, Mitch Trubisky, um, you know, and said all those great things. <laughs> and then he said the other headline, which, which I, and I love, it's, it's so funny. Uh, and it totally goes in line with who Brian Urlacher is. But he said that uh, the Bears aren't successful because of the curse of Lovey Smith. So Lovey Smith has become the Billy Goat, you know. And I think I mentioned this at one point. Uh, at some time in the past, that you know, the, the, that Lovey Smith was going to become the the uh, the 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 Bears version of the Billy Goat, um, you know, that plagued the Cubs for all those years before they finally won the World Series last year. That um, you know, firing Lovey after a ten and six season, 
um, you know, that's the best record that we've been able to produce, uh, you know, in, you know, since 2012, 500 in the first year of the Tressman area is as good as it's gotten since then. And, um, you know, we haven't come close to anything like that since then. And, um, you know, thinks that it's the curse of, of firing Lovey Smith because Erlacher honestly believes that Phil Emery was going to fire Lovey, whether we made the playoffs or not. He thinks that, that, uh, basically he didn't go in line with, with what Lovey was doing and that basically he was going to let him go. Uh, no matter what. So, um, you know, so there you go. Brian Urlacher has confirmed it. Uh, it was a theory that I'm, I'm pretty sure I threw out there at one point uh, about Lovey and, and him being fired and, and uh, maybe he's the, the, the reason he's cursing uh, the Bears. Or- There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. There's some kind of voodoo going on in the background there, uh, especially since he's close. He's in Champaign now, so he's back in Illinois coaching the Illini and everything that... uh, you know, he's uh, got that voodoo doll with, you know, Staley the mascot or whatever, and he's poking holes in him, making sure that we don't succeed uh, on the field and, uh, you know, until we do something to, to right the wrong uh, with Lovey. But uh, there it was, Erlacher saying that uh, the Bears aren't successful because of the curse of Lovey Smith. So there you go. It's, it's, it's confirmed now. You know, it's, it's out there. I threw it out there. A nice little conspiracy theory deal that I kind of tossed out there. And uh, nonetheless... Or Lacker has uh, he has confirmed that that is real, and that is why the Bears aren't successful, not because Phil Emery was a piss poor GM, and uh, you know we only have like one or two of his draft choices still on the team, not even five years later, um, or anything like that, but uh, because of the curse of Lovey Smith. So there you go. So and uh, one other cool thing I did see was a uh, an article, I think it was on uh, Chicago Sports twenty four seven. Uh, dot com that um, famous Bears fans, uh, which I thought was cool, but it was basically a list of the usual suspects: uh, Danica Patrick, uh, Bill Murray, Jim Belushi, Ashton Kutcher, uh, Jeremy Piven. You know, basically people who grew up in the in the area. One that they forgot though um, was Seth Rollins, the former WWE champion and uh wwe superstar he's actually from the area that i live in now here in the uh here in the quad cities he's a huge bears fan he's he's been spotted on the on the sidelines him and his girl on the sidelines during you know during bear games and and things like that he's a big bears fan you know because uh despite the fact that we're about 200 miles west of the city i really did luck out when i came out to here to to go to college all those years ago this is the chicago bear market so i didn't have to you know, find a sports bar or, you know, or anything like that, or subscribe to Sunday NFL ticket to be able to see the bears. That's the team out here. As far as the TV is uh, local TV 
is concerned. So I turn on Fox on Sundays, and boom, there's my beloved uh, right there. So Seth Rollins grew up watching the Bears, and he's a Bears fan. There's a guy that uh, was on the uh, list with the other. So I was really trying to think if there were any others that I knew of. Um, and the only ones that I could think of would be, you know, would be an, more of an assumption than fact, like knowledge, like Michael Pena, uh, the actor. He was uh, in Chips uh, this summer. He's from Chicago, so I would assume he's a, he's a Bears fan, you know, that kind of thing. Obviously, Barack Obama was on the list, you know, as being a Bears fan and so on. So it's just kind of fun article to, to look at and some of the names, but nobody really stood out. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. But it was like, yep, that's, yeah, those are pretty much the usual suspects for a list like that. So anyway, I think that's going to do it with uh, my, uh, my, epi- my annual episode uh, contributions for news and, uh, and notes. And uh, we'll go ahead and get things started with uh, my talk with uh, Matt Carley, who uh, was gracious enough and, and on a very short notice, cause I was supposed to talk to Nafisa last night on the fourth, you know, during the 4th of July uh, to, to do the interview with her. And she told me about two hours before we were supposed to talk that she couldn't do it. So, um, you know, it was really great that she, she did the footwork and was able to find somebody else from blog and dirty to help us out. And that guy was, uh, Matt Carolee, call him in from the uh, bullpen to, uh, to make the save and help us preview the 2017 Atlanta Falcons. So here's me and Matt talking Falcons. fourth and final stop in the NFC South. We uh, finally come to the team that not only finished first in the division, but for all intents and purposes, finished first in the NFC, the defending NFC champion Atlanta Falcons. And here to help us out with uh, with previewing these Atlanta Falcons, the defending NFC champion, uh, Matt uh, Matt Carley from Blog and Dirty, uh, fansided.com. Matt, thanks so much for uh, joining us here on the Chicago Bears Review. Yeah, thanks, Larry. Appreciate you having me on tonight. So, Matt, um, I kind of gave you a heads up about this when we were talking uh, yesterday, uh, trying to get our ducks uh, in a row because Nafisa had to drop out at the last moment. But, um, you know, the three questions I like to ask everyone when they come on the show, um, you know, how long have you been a fan? You know, where are you from? That's that's a big one because a lot of the people, bloggers, writers, podcasters, whatever that I talk to, Almost none of them actually live in the market of the team that they support. And that's where you kind of stand out. Because when I looked you up on Twitter yesterday, I see, you know, Matt Carley, contributor, uh, Blog and Dirty, Atlanta Falcons, uh, followed by Villanova's men basketball, Phillies baseball, Sixers basketball, and that you're from Pennsylvania. So you come from one of the most rabid fan bases in the country, and yet you are not a fan of that area's football team. How did that happen? Um, so I, I will start by saying I was an Eagles fan at one point in my in my life, uh, <laughs> very early part of my life, a regrettable part of my life. Okay. Um, and um, basically, I mean, this will help explain how I became a Falcons fan. But, um, you know, following them, seeing how their fans react, yes, they're rabid, but, they're almost rabid to 
to a bad extent in my in my mind. Um, sure. Yeah. You know the way the way they call out sometimes some of the moves that that the organization has made, and I thought, you know, the Eagles. Uh, you know, I was I was getting out of being an Eagles fan right when they were starting. Coincidentally enough, going to all those NFC Championship games in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I I started becoming a Falcons fan around 2002 due to Mike Vick. Sure. But the Eagles organization at that point was starting to be successful, and uh, you know, I think uh, not not to get too far off topic but you know i think the eagles organization has done a pretty fair job and and sometimes the fan base you know like some fan bases always do um kind of uh you know jump jump on the front office um you know a little you know too aggressively and and that kind of soured me on the eagles um a little bit you know also when i was a fan obviously they they weren't too successful so i i did uh get tired of losing but um no Mike, michael vick um when i watched him play in, in the 2002 season um you know he was something that i don't think any of us had ever seen uh step on a football field at least playing from the quarterback position so that's kind of where uh my allegiances started um with the falcons and uh kind of it's uh been history ever since so so how's that been for you in the pennsylvania area um, well, I can say I'm probably like only one of five Falcons fans total in Pennsylvania. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's tough to, uh, to find people to talk to and, right. uh, and to have a common ground with, but, um, you know, thank God for the internet, right? Yeah, exactly. Thank God for Twitter. Right. right. So, so would your, would your favorite moment be at the end of that 2002 season, that first playoff victory in Lambeau, or would it be another uh, moment. Um, so this will probably come as no surprise after this past season, but um, my favorite moment is also my worst moment as a oh. Falcons fan. Uh, it, it's definitely, I mean, it's got to be the Super Bowl. There, there's nothing quite like being in that game. You know, like you said, being on top of the NFC this season was, you know, a dream season that I don't think um, many Falcons fans thought was was possible after. You know, of course, being Dan Quinn's second season, the way the first season finished when they started five and zero, went on a three yeah. and eight tail spin. So no one really imagined that that a season like this could have happened. So even though it ended the way it did, and and you know, none of us are still over that moment. Um, it, you know, I still have to say that is the greatest moment, just being able to experience a Super Bowl during my lifetime, and hopefully one day soon experience them winning it. But sure, sure, yeah, no, that's. Uh... Can't fault you there. That's that's uh, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, however, was a huge fan of uh, Michael Vick and the 2002 Falcons beating the Packers in Lambeau on Wild Card yeah, Weekend I, that, that year. That, makes that was sense. that was a that was. <laughs> I mean, because nobody gave him a chance in hell in winning that game because it was at Lambeau. They're this dome team in the frozen tundra and all the rest of that stuff. And not only did they win, they blew the Packers out. It was like twenty-three to seven or something like that. I mean, they they really went up there and right. beat Green Bay that day. So, you know, it's like it wasn't like they squeaked it out and they won it on some controversial call or a last-second field goal or anything. They went in there and they beat the Green Bay Packers. Absolutely, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that was the first time that anyone had ever gone in and a, a visiting opponent had ever gone into Lambeau in the playoffs and won. That's true. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that was that truly. I mean. If this year's Super Bowl was was number one, that's not too far behind on the list of my my favorite moments for sure. Because that, like you said, that was a great. Yeah, I mean, because if you could have picked any team that would have 
that you would have selected a team to be the first to do that. The the Mike Vick led Falcons would not be at the top of that list. So, no, nope. uh, especially not in in January outdoors in Green Bay. Just you know everything went against Atlanta winning that game, and not only did they win, but they dominated uh, as well. So that Absolutely. was uh, that was pretty cool uh, to watch. Yep. So um, so yeah, the uh, I mean we've already kind of touched upon it. We haven't touched upon the ugly part of it yet, but we'll get to that. Um, you know, the Falcons, as we mentioned, NFC champions uh, in 2016. It was it was somewhat of a, you know, I, I figured that they would do one of two things uh, after the 2015 season where they started 5-0, and they come out of the gates, they're gangbusters, and then they, they just disappeared in 2015 in the second half, uh, especially uh, that they would either do it again or they would right the ship and be the team that they started out uh, to be in 2016. Unfortunately, I was right that they did uh, get it together. Now, I didn't know that they were going to go all the way to the Super Bowl, but um, you know, I had a fancy that the the Falcons could be a playoff team uh, in, in 2016, and um, you know, they they got off. Uh, I mean, aside from losing that home game to Tampa Bay to start, then they rattle off what four four in a row before losing a controversial one to Seattle in Seattle. I was watching that game, the, the pass interference call that wasn't called on Julio Jones that would have put them in field goal range to win it. But instead it doesn't get called and the Falcons lose that game. I mean, they were 11 and five and they probably should have been what 14 and two, 13 and three, maybe. Yeah. They definitely gave away a couple games. I mean, I know that the Kansas city one strikes out uh, to me most uh, that uh, memorable pick two, depending on what side you're on. Uh, right. yeah. And that Ryan threw to Eric Berry to bring it back and to, to lose a game on a pick two. It's definitely the first time that that's ever happened. But uh, right. So yeah, at least at least twelve and four, thirteen and three. Um, yeah, they, they let a couple games slip away. But um, yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, they could have went either way based on how 2015 went. They kind of you know ended on on a sour note. Like I said, going three of eight, um, and then the following year. Um, deciding to play four defensive rookies in their starting lineup, you know, a lot of us fans expected some growing pains, and that's kind of why we lowered our, our expectations too a bit on the 16th season was because, you know, we didn't know how these guys were all going to gel and react and, and, and if they could, could swing it in the NFL. So that was another thing that kind of had us, you know, um, I, w- I don't want to say being pessimistic, but definitely not. Uh, thinking, you know, an NFC championship season was on the horizon. Well, you you went week to week, and obviously you won more times or way more times than you lost. But but take me through what it was like being a fan, because looking at these scores, I'm seeing some games where you know the Falcons are winning handily, and then I'm seeing them they're seeing some games where you know you know, and I know this is the object of the game, but they are literally having to outscore their opponents to win where basically the defense is, is allowing point after point and thank God for Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and their explosive offense that were able to score enough points uh, to win the, uh, to win the game. So, I mean, is it, was it as hair raising as it looks just looking at the win loss results or did they, you know, do they get out to big leads and then they, you know, folded a bit towards the end, but had enough to, to win. What was it like going through that season? I would say it was a little bit of, of both of those emotions. I mean, Definitely, um, one of the bigger storylines throughout the year was was asking ourselves: Is the defense going to come together to the point where, like you said, the offense doesn't have to 
feel like every possession, every drive, they have to score points or score a touchdown to, uh, you know, have a shot at winning the game. Um, and eventually, uh, you know, it didn't even really matter if the defense came together or not because, Matt, like you said, Matt Ryan kept it up. The offense kept the pace up, and, and it just – you almost became numb to – to the touchdowns that they they were scoring because you just almost expected it every game and then you know dare I say took it for granted almost um, but then they they reached a point in the season where where their schedule kind of softened up and they had a stretch where they played uh, the Rams the 49ers and then even the Panthers who had their struggles last season right, um, yeah. in a row and and the defense kind of that was the get right stretch for the defense a little bit to start building some confidence for the playoffs. Um, and then, you know, obviously in the playoffs, going up against the, the Seahawks and the Packers, who those aren't the Rams or the 49ers by any means. Right. But the defense kept the clamps down on them, and that's when you kind of started getting hopeful, getting excited that there's something truly special on, on our, our, our hands and uh, maybe we can win it all. Um, so that's kind of what I think most Falcons fans, I would think, were probably feeling during, during the season, during the end, later parts. Because I'm like I said, I'm I'm looking here. Um, they lost the first game, 31 to 24 to Tampa Bay. Then they win a shootout in Oakland, 35 to 28, 45 to 20, or excuse me, 45 32 over the Saints, 48 33 over the Panthers. So I mean, you know, if you're on the Panthers side of things, you're not supposed to score 33 points and lose, and let alone lose by two scores uh, on top of that. You know, then. Looks like the defense clamps down a bit at at Denver, a game I did not expect them to win. Twenty three to sixteen, they win that one. We already talked about the Seattle game, twenty six twenty four. They lose another close one. The Chargers game. What was the deal with the Chargers game? There was a caveat with the Chargers game. Yeah, yeah it was like that was a, probably another one that they definitely should have had. Uh, they were up twenty seven seven, I believe. That's in the, the first half. Yes. Okay. Um, and. Then that's when the defense kind of went back and, you know, was the defense from early on uh, lighting up 30 points a game. But then the offense also in that game, I think the offense was probably the the bigger source spot, if you can believe it, in that game because it kind of looked like they were reverting back to their 2015 form where Matt Ryan might have been forcing the ball a little too much to Julio. It seemed like San Diego was doing a good job creating some pressure with Bosa and Ingram. Um, but then also they took away the, the supper, supplementary parts uh, of the offense and really just made it, you know, Julio Jones was like the only guy that Matt Ryan could, could rely on in that game. And, and it, you know, came back to haunt him. I think Matt Ryan forced a pick to Julio and pretty much uh, I think that's when San Diego then drove down and, and tied it up. And then in overtime, um, they, I think San Diego just kicked the game-winning field goal either. I don't know if they had the ball first or – if it went back a couple of times, but I know uh, that pick was was a big uh, heart heart wrencher there, and it kind of turned the tide. Yeah, though, that two week stretch that uh, the 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 loss to the Chargers, then the win the following week over the Packers. That's when I threw my hands up. I was like, I can't figure this team out. You know, both of those were were home games. The Chargers had to go all the way across the country to get to uh, Atlanta. You know, Atlanta is a pretty good home place for the Falcons and. You know, to lose that one in overtime and to blow a huge lead in the process and then come back the following week against the Packers, who were playing good football at the time, uh, 
you know, and then win that game. It's like, that's, I, you know what, I'm just going to have to take the Falcons as they come because I can't figure them out. Right. I mean, that, I would say, was probably the most important game of the entire uh, season for the Falcons because had they lost that one, I, I don't know if they're necessarily uh, winning the division or, or, you know, making it to the playoffs. Because, like you said, that's three in a row then. Right there, you're looking at a four and four football team midway through the season, and uh, then I'm sure at that point doubts would have started creeping in their head more about the 2015 season and how they collapsed there. So, had they not pulled, and they and they pulled that game out on a game winning drive too. Uh, yeah, Matt Ryan was connecting with Muhammad Sanu, I think, four or five times on that drive, and then eventually connected with him um, for like a 15 to 20 yard pass in the back of the end zone to put them up with like uh, 20 or 30 seconds left. So that was. It was a huge drive, and, and like I said, a uh, season-changing win uh, in the middle of the season. So that was a big one. And then, you know, they uh, after the we talked about the Chiefs game, they lose the tight one there on the on the pick two, as you call it. Uh, they finished yep. with, what, four four in a row to close out the season. Um, were, they right. number, were they number one or number two in the NFC? They got, they got number two by winning at New Orleans. Yeah. Right, because Seattle they're... also gave up a game. True, yeah. At home to to the Cardinals, and that's what allowed um, Atlanta to jump them and get the home field game against them, which was critical. Because going up to Seattle in January, even though mm-hmm. um, we played them tight there early in the season, uh, the odds don't look great in your favor if you have to go to the twelfth man, you know, in the cold in January. So that was huge to get that two seed. Exactly. So. Big win over the Seahawks, 36-20. to 20. And then the following week in the NFC Championship game, proved there is a God in heaven um, because, <laughs> you know, Aaron Rodgers, I swear to God, somebody's got to keep that guy off the radio because anytime he goes on the radio and makes these declarations, they somehow keep coming true. You know, the Packers yeah, are sitting there. Us, yeah. yeah, the Packers are sitting there at four and six. He goes on, it's like, we can go on a run and, and win out. And then he does. They win their their uh, wild card game against the Giants, then go to Dallas and beat the Cowboys, and then here they are in the NFC Championship game against the Falcons, where they possibly sh- where they basically should have won the first time around, playing against it, and then you know it was never even a contest. The score was forty four to twenty one. It was never that close. The Falcons just came out and straight murdered the Packers from the outset, and the Packers were playing catch up the entire game. And I will say. Uh... Bears fans weren't the only ones that were sick of uh, hearing about Aaron Rodgers' run because <laughs> during the whole MVP and stuff debate, you know, they a lot of times that they were comparing, you know, the two runs that that Aaron Rodgers had and Matt Ryan had in the same game stretch, and for whatever reason, not, if you put the numbers side by side, they were identical. Well, yet they continued. People continue to say Aaron Rodgers deserved to win the award just because he's Aaron Rodgers, I guess. And yes, he is probably one of the, the greatest quarterbacks. I'd say he, he probably is etched in the top ten right now. Sure. He, he yeah. might work his way up. But um, just because of his name and his name alone, he deserved to lead Matt Ryan in the MVP award. I, he was part of the reason that they were 4-6 and six to begin with because he was not playing his, his normal uh, Aaron Rodgers self in, in those correct. first ten games. So, yeah. so the fact that you're going to wipe away um, – 10 games and give a guy the MVP award for a six game stretch. Uh, it had a lot of Falcons fans mad too and, and exhausted about hearing that, that run. So you guys weren't alone. I'll, I'll tell you that. Well, I mean, and, and if, if no other reason, the, if, you know, other than to have a little variety as far as who's representing the NFC, what basically happens every year 
anyway. But, um, right. you know, right. there's kind of a revolving door of NFC champions that keep going to the Super Bowl uh, to represent mm-hmm. them. I don't think that I would have been able to stomach two weeks of Rodgers versus Brady um, <laughs> building up to the Super Bowl. I just like, please don't let this happen. Either have Rodgers lose or have Brady lose. And, you know, actually both would be just fine uh, with me. But, um, yeah. you know, but if, if if one or the other, please, because I could not handle Brady versus Rodgers in the Super Bowl for two weeks on SportsCenter, NFL Network, you know, what have you. And thankfully, one of them didn't make it. Yeah, that, that sure would have been nauseating. I agree. Yes, absolutely. So, so we go on to the Super Bowl. And I got to be honest with you, I, I had the Falcons winning this thing. Um, I really did think that they would be too much uh, for uh, New England. And for the first, what, three and a half quarters, I was right. Yeah, you looked spot on with that. Yeah. Yep, you looked spot on. Yeah, I was doing a, um, a pool with, with some friends uh, of mine, and I was murdering it. I mean, I even nailed Freeman scoring the first touchdown. You know, I, I picked <laughs> that. I nailed that. And... You know, I did over-under passing yards. I chose the under. I was going to nail that, too. And, you know, Ryan was going to be the MVP and the whole nine yards. And then the fourth quarter happened, and the whole thing turned on a dime. As a fan, with you went from this being one of the greatest days of the history of your life to then the fourth quarter happened. Um, You know, what, I mean, how did you feel going, going through that? Because I know how I would feel. But, I mean, is, did it dawn on you that this was actually happening, or did you hold out hope until they finally scored that touchdown in overtime to win it? So what's weird about the whole game was even when the Falcons were um, going up and down the field and, and dominating the first three quarters, it just didn't, it didn't seem real. Something felt, you know, like a facade about it because, I mean, if, if you can remember, and I've, tried to erase most of the game out of my memory as I could because sure. it's, but um, a lot of the drives that the Falcons had were, were big chunk plays. It's not like they methodically moved themselves down, down the field like mm. you would think. Like it, it just seemed like it was too many splash plays that did it and if and I think in, a, in an instance like that those splash plays you know whether it's communication breakdowns in the secondary or or they're just they're seeing something in the defense that they're taking advantage of, and that's what's allowing them to get those big chunk plays. In my mind, I think that's correctable from a defensive standpoint than actually just getting yourself at the line of scrimmage manhandled and slow chunk plays moving down and, and down the field. So to that point, I was like, this, this is looking too easy. They're, they're doing this too easy. Something's going to give. Belichick is too good of a coach to allow this to keep up. And obviously, I mean, it, it was more or less the, the big strip sack fumble that, that's what turned the tide. Um, but also from a defensive standpoint, they started putting more pressure on Ryan. They started covering better. The Patriots did, making Ryan hold on to the ball a little bit longer. Um, so even when they were up 28-3, to three, um, I, I, I was trying to keep my reactions in check. I mean, obviously when Alfred had that pick six, I was jumping up and down screaming. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, – other than that, I mean, I was I was just like something something's gonna give, you know. I, as a Falcons fan, you always gotta know it's not over until the clock reads double zero and the fat lady sings because <laughs> nothing's ever a given as a right. Falcons fan. But um, it just seemed eerie and, and too easy to 
to uh, end in a blowout in the Super Bowl like that against the Patriots. So I knew it was gonna it was gonna be closer and it was gonna score was gonna finish closer, but I, I didn't realize that it was gonna end with giving up 28 unanswered and and having the biggest Super Bowl class in, in history. But I mean, who could who could foresee anything like that ever? Yeah, I mean, because there were there were two teams. I mean, the Falcons were two teams in that game. Because with a blowout of Brady and the mighty Patriots, they were, they were, you know, I mean, if, if only for the moment or a part of the discussion immediately after the game, creeping into one of the best teams ever territory because they beat up on the Patriots. They were 14-2. and two. They rampaged their way through the playoffs. And here they were, the clear favorite in the Super Bowl. And they got stomped, uh, you know, by this explosive Atlanta Falcons, or at least one of the best offenses of all time, for them to be able to do that to Belichick in the... Uh, Patriots to being, you know, the the biggest letdown in Super Bowl history. Um, you know, even as a casual football fan, it was it was painful painful to watch. I mean, I just I couldn't believe that it was actually happening. I mean, the the amateur football historian in me was was uh, honored to be witnessing something like this, but uh, I was I wasn't rooting for the side that was overcoming. Right, that, that's that's another part that hurts too. The majority of the casual fans and the majority of America was, you know, you had to uh, think Poland for the Falcons because of the fact that Patriots have won four. You want to see a changing of the guard. You're tied to the same old team winning, and to let America down like that—that's that's what stings even more too, as, as a fan of the Falcons. But you know, life moves on, and, and hopefully, uh, well, we're going to get another crack. Do you know, beef for the same prize, but. You know, <laughs> you know, Never revenge. Right. So as a fan, you know, of the team, you know, there was a lot of talk about who was to blame for the collapse. Do you do you blame the offense for not being able to stay on the field or do you blame the defense for not keeping Brady off of it? I feel like, you know, the politically correct answer has got to be to say it's a little bit of both sides. Sure. Um, I mean, obviously the defense to allow – 28 uh, unanswered points like that. You got to shoulder some of the blame. Yes, you're tied. Yes, you're on the field for 93 plays. I believe it was. But um, you know, it, this is the last game of the season. You have to, and I'm, I'm sure they all did leave it all on the field. But you you have to make one play. One play is all that it would have taken. Whether it's you know knocking that ball out of Edelman's hands, that ridiculous catch. Right. Um, Alfred Alfred had another pick that kind of slipped through his hands. Making that play would have clinched it. Um, I think Vic Beasley at one point. Uh, was within an arm's distance away from stripping Brady or at least bringing him down for a sack. So just one play is all it would have taken. Um, but then also, again, like you said, the offense uh, didn't uh, help out its defense by, by not staying on the field. They only ran 40-some plays, and, and time of possession was highly skewed in the Patriots' favor. Right. So, you know, time, uh, you know, controlling the running the football, and that's what turns, I think, the third person that does deserve some blame is Kyle Shanahan's aggressive play calling. I mean, yes, they said after the game that that's how they attacked the season all year, was being aggressive, being aggressive, being aggressive, and, and you know, that's fine and dandy and all, but when, when you're in the last game, final game, for it all, it doesn't mean you have to continue to do what you've done in the past. You have to play smart. The you know, the rule of thumb is to run the football in that in that uh, scenario, and, and they uh, failed to do that in, in critical moments. And uh, so the play calling, too, definitely deserves uh, a lot of blame. I mean, that, that's that's what fans, uh, you'll see on Twitter, fans 
uh, number one will be calling for Kyle Shanahan's head, but that, it's not all him, but he right. does deserve some blame. Yeah, no, I, I definitely uh, think it kind of skews more towards that for me as far as, uh, you know, the, the, the play calling in, in the second half uh, was was more detriment than, than anything. I mean, the defense, yeah, they gave up those points. They were, I think it was 99 plays is what I heard. That, I mean, including mm, overtime, okay. they were out there for 99 plays. I mean, that's that's going to wear anybody down uh, over the course yep. of a football game, especially when the bulk of that came in the second half. Um, so, I mean, that's, uh, you know, there's only so much you can expect them to do when they're out there that much. And, um, you know, the offense, you know, like you said, you know, didn't get didn't ease up off the gas pedal at all uh, in the second half, or at least attempt to. Anyway, even though uh, you know Freeman and company were running the ball fairly well, especially in the early on uh, in in the football game, that that uh, you know could have uh, could have been helpful in the second half. But uh, what's done is done. The the Patriots uh, win the football game, the first the first ever overtime game in Super Bowl history. You at least have that uh, you know uh, feather in your cap uh, for yeah. that one. Um, you know, so the, the big question going into 2014, cause I, I read it in, in, in the preview magazines that I, that I had, that I was studying up on, uh, before we talked tonight, um, was, will they be able to shake it mentally in, in 2017? Because you, number one, you have the Super Bowl loser curse, quote unquote, that always tends to plague the teams that, that, you know, that did lose the game the year before we, we watched it happen to Carolina. 15 and 1 in 2015, 6 and 10 a year ago. They went from first to worst uh, in the NFC South when usually in the NFC South it's the other way around. But um you know, will the Falcons be able to to mentally keep themselves in check and 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 stay on the uh course? The talent they have on the football team says yes, but you know, superstition is is a funny funny thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely a legitimate concern. Um as a Falcons fan, um, something I wrote in one of my articles at Blogging Dirty, I think with, with teams like uh, the, the, the previous two Super Bowl hangover uh, victims, the, the Panthers, as you mentioned, and, and the Seahawks, um, I look at them as more of two teams that, after their Super Bowl season, they, they were two teams that had made it to the playoffs in three consecutive seasons. So that, to me, says, and then obviously we saw what happened um, the following year with, with each of them, that to me kind of uh, strikes me as teams that might have seen their window closing there, whereas with the Falcons, we, I talked about, this was a team that, that no one expected to be at that point uh, so soon under Dan Quinn, and the fact that they have so many young guys starting four uh, rookie defensive players, and um, you know their core is all coming back, and not to, to mention that Desmond Trufant, arguably their best defensive player, uh, uh, period, uh, wasn't even there for the Super Bowl run due to uh, a pectoral injury. He's going to be back. So I think this is more. This is a team that's seeing their window just open up and is more likely to have repeated success. Maybe not necessarily win the NFC Championship again, but as far as a, a Super Bowl hangover, and I guess a Super Bowl hangover would still be if they don't make it back to the Super Bowl per se. But I, I, I'm not as concerned I, as I am if, if this was an older team that, like in 2012, you know, that was – kind of uh, last run with that group of players when they lost to the 49ers in the 2012 championship game. This year, right. uh, this team, I think, is, is more suited to continue their success and, uh, you know, continue to, to win divisions and possibly win conference championships again. 
So we go into free agency and into the into the off season, and um, see a lot of guys leave, and you know possibly could be bringing back guys like Dwight Freeney and uh, and, and such. But um, the big free agent addition, unless there's another one, I see is Don Terry Poe, uh, the defensive tackle from uh, from Kansas City, who will help solidify the middle of that defensive line for you guys. Yes, I mean that's absolutely. Uh the one that all of us are excited about, um, just a one-year deal to prove a contract, um, mainly because of health reasons. He's been dealing with a bad back uh, the last couple of years, which is why he's seen a dip in production. But he's also he was also asked to play a lot of snaps uh, in Kansas City, uh, I think over 90%, if, if I'm not mistaken. And in Atlanta, Dan Quinn likes to rotate his D-lineman in and out. So I think he's going to benefit tremendously from that. Um, he's going to be fresher and obviously more productive um, uh, from a per snap per snap basis when he's got you know especially if he's got guys like Grady Jarrett who uh, kind of had his coming out party in, in the Super Bowl with with three sacks of Brady yeah and then the NFL sack sack leader Vic Beasley um, going to be on one side of him probably and then they added uh, Tack McKinley who I think is the second biggest addition this off season the 26th overall pick. Um, the Southern fans are very excited about as well. Um, a lot of it because of his personality on, on Twitter. Uh, if you guys aren't following Tack McKinley, uh, he'll definitely uh, provide you a few laughs on Twitter. Um, but also, I mean, from a, from a football standpoint, he's a very explosive athlete, uh, which is something that Dan uh, Quinn covers in his players. And uh, a guy that I think uh, will hold up against the run early in his career, so that'll lead to uh, – the early snaps. Um, the only concern, is, I mean, he is dealing with a shoulder injury, but um, the word is that he should be ready for training camp. So that that would be uh, good news to hear. Um, so that he doesn't, you know, get behind and, and fall behind in camp. But anybody on the free agent subtraction list or losses or or whatever that that you wish you held on to or hope that you get back before training camp or before the season gets started. Um. I think on offense, uh, right guard Chris Chester decided mm. to to hang up the cleats. Right. So Falcons will be will be uh, having a new starting right guard to start the season, and that that'll probably either be um, 2016 sixth round pick Wes Schweitzer or journeyman Ben Garland, who who's actually a do it all player. He, he played some D line, believe it or not, uh, last year at times, and he's also. Our, was our backup interior offensive lineman. So he's going to be battling with Schweitzer for that right guard spot. So that'll probably be the, the camp battle to watch. Um, fullback was one that, you know, yes, uh, fullback's not really a, a coveted position anymore in today's NFL, but Patrick DeMarco was, was a big reason that the run game was so successful. Um, he ended up signing a, a pretty lucrative for fullback anyways deal in, in Buffalo. A lot of fans were kind of disappointed to see him go. Um, but they are looking to replace him with, with Derek Coleman, who is with Quinn in Seattle. He's actually, uh, I don't know if I'm familiar, he is the first deaf player to ever play in the NFL. Um, he ended up getting cut, I think, from Seattle. Uh, he's dealing with, I think, a DUI or something, um, but that has been cleaned up apparently, and, and he looks like to, to replace DeMarco there. And then the other one you mentioned kind of hit on a little bit. Dwight Freeney is still a free agent, and he's declared his intentions to to return to the Falcons. Um, 
And I, I think eventually when it's all said and done, he, he will get re-signed. But Dan Quinn's kind of taken a lukewarm uh, attitude toward and, and said he's just going to re-evaluate the whole team and, and uh, you know, he'll make a decision, I think, at some point during training camp, before training camp. So I, I'd like to see Dwight just for the standpoint that he was such a great mentor to Vic Beasley last year. And I think, you know, he would serve the same type of role for Tack McKinley. And, you know, there's nothing not to like about that type of idea. So hopefully it happens. But if not, I think the Falcons will be fine. And if, if, you know, with adding McKinley, Beasley in his third year, you know, they're not, they're not struggling for pass rushers like they were last year, which is why they added him. Now they're in a, they're in a better spot along the D-line. So I would say those are the three, though. Okay, that, and, I, uh, and I think deep down, going into what his fifteenth or sixteenth season, that Freeney probably wants to stray hand the whole thing and just skip training camp and come in right before yeah, week absolutely. one, you know, and just play football as opposed to going through five, six, seven weeks of uh, of camp before getting to play in a football game. So it's like he's he's an he this is old hat for him. He can just you know put put the pads on and play as opposed to having to go through all the the drills and the hot summers, especially in Georgia. Um, you know where the yeah. where the Falcons are having camp. Uh, the the one thing I will say about that, Dan, Dan Quinn did mention that he he wanted it free to if he was going to uh, commit this season, he did kind of want him to participate in the, in those types of off season activities. So maybe that's why Dan has had such a lukewarm attitude. Is you know, Dwight hasn't committed to that part, and, and and that's why he's still unsigned. But but I totally agree. I mean, even if Dan softens on that, Dwight can just you know, pick up the helmet and, and start up right where he left off. Yeah, I mean, because it's, it's clear. I mean, maybe he's lost a, a spring in the step, but he hasn't lost his his mojo as far as being able to get to the, the pass rusher. And like you said, he's, you know, mentoring and, and helped out Vic Beasley tremendously. I mean, he was the NFL sack leader last year due, to, due greatly in part to the tutelage of, uh, of Freeney and, and, and his teaching. So, I mean, if, if for no other reason than, than to help Beasley stay on the same path and to help out the new kid in, in McKinley as we move over to the draft, that'd be a good reason to keep a guy like Freeney around. Absolutely. Totally agree. So, we, like we said, we, we, we talked about him briefly. Uh, Takaris McKinley, the first-round uh, pick, uh, the Falcons trading up in the first round. Was it just the second-round pick that you gave up to move in to the to first round there? Uh, they, gave, they gave a third and a seventh of that year's. So did they not have a second round pick this year? Well, they they did. They you know they ended up being able to keep the second, and then what they did with the second was they traded back twelve spots and acquired two fifth round picks. Okay. Um, so yeah, they decided to they didn't like I guess whoever was still on the board at sixty two or or maybe they I, I think what their plan was they 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 wanted Duke Riley from the start, and they knew they could get him twelve spots down and. Uh, they were able to then get two more, you know, day three picks um, because, you know, when when the Tack McKinley uh, trade happened, I, I liked the pick a lot, but I didn't really like the trade, giving up that third. And, you know, seventh is a dart throw, but, you know, it yeah. can turn into a developmental prospect maybe down the line. But I, I didn't really like the fact that we were, we were losing, uh, you know, a third-round pick, which uh, in the last two drafts has turned into starters for us, so. That disappointed, but the fact that they ended up getting two fifth rounders back and still getting their guy, then that kind of softened the the blow for me as a fan of, of Thomas Mitchell's trade. So, right. Well, you're talking to a talking to a Bears fan who uh, had to give up two three <laughs> round, third round picks to, to move forgot. up to move up one spot to, to take a quarterback that pretty much no Bear fan wanted 
uh, in the first place. So uh, we're we're a little touchy about those third round trades uh, ourselves. So uh, we're, we're we're definitely feeling your pain as far as not wanting to give yeah. up a third round pick to uh, to make a draft choice. But uh, you know, McKinley makes a, an immediate splash. Um, if for, if for, if in nothing else, social media because of the you know carrying around <laughs> the picture of his grandmother and then swearing on television and and all that kind of stuff. And um, you know, you said that the Falcons like Duke Riley. They get him in the third round at 75 and then when you were talking about the the right guard uh position your fourth round pick was also being thrown in the mix by the two magazines that i was reading as far as possibly being a dark horse to to win that right guard uh spot sean harlow from uh oregon state and then they round out the draft class with the three uh fifth round picks in uh demonte casey they got some names on this yep. team man takaris mckinley duke riley yeah. demonte casey uh corner from san diego state you got brian hill the running back from wyoming and then um you know basically um uh tight end uh from drake university a very small school uh, out here in iowa as a matter of fact where i live uh eric saubert uh tight end uh the last draft was to pick to round out the class uh for the uh for the falcons yeah no uh, absolutely um and i think with the harlow pick i I don't necessarily see him uh, seeing any playing time his first year. I think what they're going to do with him is the same thing that they did with their 2016 six-pick West and kind of had him redshirt his first year and possibly learn behind their left guard, Andy Lavitri, to maybe possibly succeed him in a year or two. Because um, he, he's a converted left tackle from Oregon State, so learning that that interior position, I think it will take a year's time, perhaps maybe even more. So that's probably best case scenario for him. Um, moving on down to Demonte Casey, I think with all these fifth round picks, actually, a lot of these are seen more as picks for the future and possibly replacing guys that Atlanta might not be able to retain once they hit their second contract. So a guy like KZ, um, who they're going to, I think, a great ball hawk at uh, San Diego State, had 15 interceptions his last two seasons wow. and was the back, back-to-back Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year. They're going to convert him to free safety and possibly be the heir apparent to Ricardo Allen is what a lot of us uh, are thinking. And then Brian Hill, uh, who was a very surprising pick because, you know, Atlanta has arguably one of the best running back duos in the NFL right now. Sure. So to pick a, a running a pick a running back that was as polished as Hill at Wyoming, um, who had, I think, over 3,000 yards the last two seasons there, um, was kind of surprising, but it may, it makes you think that obviously they know they can't keep both Freeman and Coleman long term. So hopefully, uh, there's been a lot of talks that Freeman's going to get his contract, you know, before training camp or during training camp. So hopefully that gets settled, and then we have the idea that it's probably Ted and Coleman that's not going to be replaced or that's not going to be retained, and Brian Hill would then probably slot in to that second back role once Tevin ends up moving on. And then as far as Eric Saubert goes, um, I think they're going to bring him along the way they brought along Austin Hooper, who is the 2016 third-round draft pick tight end, um, and kind of just quick, uh, slowly ease him in as like the third tight end and get him up to speed. Because like you said, he's from a small school, so he's going to be making a, a pretty big jump from, I think it's the FCS to, to obviously the NFL. So yeah. but I do like what I see from him. I mean, he's an athletic he can move. He's he's a swift player. I mean, he's big and he's tall. He's got a long, uh, big catch radius. So 
I think, uh, you know, in the future, he can be a nice one-two combo with Austin Hooper uh, down the scenes of defenses. Uh, yeah, and unless anything's changed since my time at Western Illinois University, Drake is is FCS the or AKA one one double A, but they're non scholarship, so it's a team full of walk ons. And this kid ended up getting oh, himself wow. getting himself drafted. I did so not know that. Yeah, they, yeah, like I said, that may have changed in in the fifteen years since I've uh, left college. But uh, okay. you know, when because uh, in two thousand and two, Western actually played drake uh in uh, in our opener of the season and uh they were they were one double a non-scholarship uh at the time so i mean it would basically you are a team of walk-ons or you know glorified division three players or you know what have you they're not playing for they're playing to play they're not playing for money like uh yeah, you know, scholarship athletes do so uh you know and this kid and i'm getting himself drafted by the defending nfc champions it had to be a pretty pretty big day for him when he got that uh yeah. when he got that call so Moving on to 2017, um, the schedule, uh, we'll, we'll take a quick uh, look at it. And as most defending NFC champions do, or any team that, uh, A, has the offense that the Falcons uh, have or, you know, had the success they had previous, a lot of national TV dates, five just at first glance of the uh, schedule. And that's not including, you know, those uh, those late afternoon national TV appearances and and so on, but um, you know, obviously, week one, you're at Chicago, playing against the Bears. So, good start for you guys. And uh, <laughs> then uh, home for Green Bay to open up Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That that stadium is insane. By the way, I've uh, I just saw yeah. briefly the uh, the the ring uh, television screen just above the. Uh, the dome. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's kind of yeah, the halo board. That's it. Uh, it's kind of like Jerry Dome on steroids with that thing. And then, you know, the 360 look of the of the TV screen was just. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I thought it was pretty great when I was seeing concept designs, and but to see it actually physically there was 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 really something, you know. And then they're opening up on Sunday Night Football against the Packers, a rematch of the NFC Championship game. That's a heck of a way to start the home schedule. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'm hope, hoping to be there. I'm, I'm going to try to get some tickets. I just I just looked on uh, StubHub and Ticketmaster before I came on the show, and uh, ooh, yeah, it's not going to be cheap. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of a once in a lifetime game. It's pretty much the last one I wanted to cross off my bucket list. I, I was I was at the Georgia Dome for. Uh, I was actually at the home opener last year, which is you know the one game that you know the, the one they lost to the Bucks with. Right. I was like walking out after there wasn't a great feeling but um i was at that three more before that and uh always said you know once this once i heard about this new stadium that this would be the, the last one that i need because i mean as you said that the the stadium um jerry world is something but arthur blank had jerry world in mind when he was designing this and i think he you know it was his goal to trump jerry world and, and i think uh by the looks of it he's done a pretty good job of it yeah um so yeah that that'll be a great game to uh to kick off that new stadium for, for sure well i mean i thought that that minnesota was an achievement ahead of of jerry dome with with the glass ceiling yeah and, you know no, it, it, i think it, so too. you know it looks like an outdoor stadium even though it's a dome like the like the the metrodome was and and so on and so forth but yeah. you know this thing with with the retractable dome and the way that it opens up uh and everything it's like well and you know, like I said, when I saw the concept art, I was like, how are they going to make that work at such a large 
scale and then the halo you know the halo board and yeah. and all that kind of stuff it just seemed it just seemed like a concept like you see those silly concept cars at car shows and the, like you'll never see that car on the road ever you know when i saw right. the concept for mercedes-benz stadium i was like man if they actually pull that off that's going to be hard to beat for i mean even those stadiums that they're going to be building in vegas and and los angeles are not going to be able to touch this place well i mean they did they did have some issues uh which is why i think the NFL didn't necessarily give Atlanta a home playoff game to open the season, and it's why they moved it to week two to give them a little bit more time, but they were having some issues with the roof, but um, you know, at last I heard, uh, everything went smooth with, with the first opening, and uh, things are looking looking good on schedule, but yeah, like you said, I mean, at first you didn't think something like this could ever be possible, but now that, that it's slowly appearing like it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be out of this world and, and that's not even a hyperbole to say yeah no for sure for sure i mean i've always been a very you know i mean i'm into graphic design and things like that so i'm a very visual type person and you know i just really enjoy looking at this stadium it's really it's really really <laughs> something it you know it really is amazing yeah. and um you know to be able to see something in like that in person that's that's on the list for me you know to go to atlanta to go to minneapolis to see that place and you know God, God help me as a Bear fan. I want to make it to Lambeau at some point to see him play the Packers uh, up there. Um, that's on the bucket list uh, for sure. But I got to see that stadium before they tear it down because the, those stadiums in Atlanta don't have a very long shelf life. I mean, the Braves are already no. on to, uh, you know, Turner Field is already rumble and, you know, a rubble and all that kind of stuff. The, the Georgia Dome is soon to be, if it isn't already, um, you know, that was, uh, that was only, what, a 25-year-old stadium and it's already gone. Uh, yeah. kind of thing so if yeah. i want to want to see that stadium i can't waste too much time uh getting no. down there yeah, so, you so the first three games at chicago home for green bay on sunday night and then detroit on the road so basically everyone in the nfc north except for the vikings then you're home for the bills then a week five bye for the falcons yeah, as that's... opposed to the week 11 bye you had uh a year ago so you know, I ask this of everybody. I mean, it's hard to say because it can change from from year to year. But are you a fan of the early buy? Are you a fan of the later buy? Or you know, do you, are you more of a you know a take it as it comes kind of thing? Because because there have been a couple years in a row where the Bears have had the week nine buy like they do this year, dead center in the middle of the season. And at some point, it's like you know what they probably could have used the break about two weeks before they actually got one or. You know, or they were playing well right before the bye last year. Maybe we could have gone a week or two before having the bye and so on and so forth. Where do you fall on the on the bye weeks? I mean, you open up the schedule and you see week five bye. That was like, uh, that's, yeah, too early in the season, I would think. I mean, you're taking the words right out of my mouth. That, that was uh, the thing that jumped. That was probably the number one thing that jumped out that I didn't like about the schedule. I mean, I, I think, I know you said the Bears – the last couple of years have had the middle of the season and, and they probably could have used a break a couple of weeks earlier, but I, you know, I'm, I'm a middle of the season by type of guy. I mean, I mm-hmm. think breaking up the season in two halves is, is about as ideal as it gets. Right. Um, you know, they do, I guess, um, Falcons have a mini buy towards the end to kind of soften the blow. Right. Uh, Thursday nighter. You no, know, for week four. Yeah. They have mm-hmm. Thursday night on week 14 against the saints. And then they don't play until Monday night against the bucks on the road so you know you kind of have the weekend off there um but that's also if if you win 
I think Thursday, the Thursday before is when it really becomes a buy. Because if you lose, you know, it doesn't really matter at that point because you're thinking about the loss from the week before. Um, you know, you're getting right back in there probably to, to, to do tape for Monday's game. So it's really only a buy in my mind if you win that Thursday game. Um, so, yeah, I'm really uh, not in favor of this uh, layout the way they have the, the week five buy for the Falcons. Because I guess that, that's the earliest bye week of, of the NFL season this year, right, is week five? I, I think it's yeah, it's either four or five. I'm pretty sure because I think they they clustered the bye weeks together closer than they have. Like they had been spreading them from yeah, like week four to week twelve, and I think it's only like weeks five to ten or eleven this year. They really yeah, condensed right. when the buys are this year. So the, the fact that they got the first set of bye weeks is not is not very favorable uh, for the Falcons. Right. And so, I mean, especially since the schedule that they have after it, it's not that daunting as far as who they're playing. But, I mean, after the bye week, they're home for the Dolphins. But then they have three straight road games at New England, at the Jets, at division rival Carolina before coming home for the Cowboys. I mean, a three-game road stretch. I mean, even though they're, they're not far trips, you know, I think New England is probably the farthest trip you have in that stretch. But it's New England on Sunday night. Then you're at the Jets, so basically going right back out where you came from, and then at Carolina, where you know division rival, you face these guys twice a year. It's going to be a tough game, you know. Bang, bang, bang. That three, just coming basically fresh off the bye, um, you know that that probably didn't sit well when you first saw that in the schedule. Uh, you know, I didn't actually uh, think of that. I mean, I, I do see towards the end of the schedule. Then they do have three straight at home. Yes, you kind of have to think that the, that Jets game in the middle is kind of like a bye week almost in itself because the Jets, <laughs> quite arguably, could be the worst team in football, worst roster in football. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm 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 wondering to myself right now. Uh, last year, when when the Falcons went on a West Coast road trip, um, I think it was Seattle and, and Denver. It was during those weeks they actually kept the team out west for the whole week as kind of a bonding uh, experience to get closer as a team and then also cut down on the travel time. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if they would – I know it's only going from the south to the east, but I'm wondering if they would even consider that again. It seemed to work uh, pretty well as far as the, the team saying that it did actually help to, to get closer and to grow that brotherhood that kind of became a big thing uh, surrounding the team. Um, and Dan Quinn's from the uh, the Morristown, New Jersey area, which is not too far from the Meadowlands. So I'm wondering if maybe he would show him around his old stomping grounds and uh, hmm. uh, have another brotherhood outing and and possibly see how that would work two years in a row. But I mean, I'm I'm not too worried about that stretch as I am about later down the line when the NFL had five of the last six games on the schedule be division games. Yeah. I was um, just looking. We at all that. we all know how. Yeah, we all know how, how important division games are in deciding um, division champions and, and playoff spots. So that that's the p- part of the schedule that I'm more concerned about, and not, not so much the, the three straight road games, mainly because of the opponents. But, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, pr- that's going to be a brutal stretch, and that's going to definitely be the uh, make-or-break uh, part of the season for the Falcons in those division games. The last six road games, they start – Week tw- or the, excuse me, the last six games. Period. Um, they begin with the with the three game homestand, home for Tampa Bay, home for yep. Minnesota, and then that Thursday nighter against the Saints. So a quick turnaround after the Minnesota game, 
Then you get that that mini buy after the uh, Saints game. You're at Tampa Bay. Then back again with the Saints doing the uh, old school NFL playing a team twice in three weeks deal. And then home for the finale against the uh, the Panthers. But yeah, they're a, you you play you don't play a division opponent until week nine. And then in from week twelve to week seventeen, you play five of the other six games. Um, so I mean, yep. it's uh, there's uh, there's no room for for error in the in the last half of the schedule for the uh, for the Falcons because the second half of the schedule begins with week number nine, and it's you know Panthers, Cowboys, Seahawks. I mean, it's all and it's all NFC games on top of that, so they're conference games right. as well. So there's no room for sleeping. Um, you know, as a first place finisher in your division, you have the, the other two first place finishers, uh, in the conference and the Cowboys and the Seahawks, and then five out of the six games after that are division opponents. So it's, uh, you know, you're right. Maybe that bye week could have come a little bit later on. That probably would have been more helpful, uh, to the Falcons as opposed to the gauntlet they have to run to make it to the end of the season. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially because right before that, five out of six stretch you got the cowboys and seattle which are two games that they very well could lose and then to follow that up you have uh, on a, a division gauntlet uh it could be a good night for the season um if uh if they don't uh, take advantage of the early part of the schedule and, and kind of get get a little bit of some breathing room so that there is some some room to maybe lose a game or two in that in that tough stretch yeah a fast start is going to be very important for the falcons um, this Absolutely. year I mean, with with the team that they have they're capable of it but stranger things have happened uh in the nfl so there's uh there's no room to sleep in uh in on the schedule for the falcons so there's no rest for the no rest for the weary uh, on this one they're gonna have to come nope. out to come out guns blazing with the their foot on the gas pedal and any other cliche you can think of to throw in there uh on top of it so um you know so i mean it's i'm excited to see what the falcons are going to be able to do um you know, I'm 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 definitely interested in in seeing if they can shake the Super Bowl loser curse and make a run of this thing, or at least make it back to the playoffs. So they'll be in the discussion on whether, because with an offense like theirs, if they're in the playoffs, they got just as good a shot as anybody else. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I'm not so concerned about the offense. I'm I'm not concerned about the coordinator change because they're from from all counts they're going to run the same scheme and and um, they're putting it more in the players' control and Matt Ryan's control. So the offense is, is not a concern. I'm just looking to see if the defense now makes a second leap. Um, you know, they started coming together, like I said, during the end of the season, but now can they put it all together for a full 16-game season and with these new pieces, um, you know, add to that and, and build, continue to build the chemistry that they were building. And that could possibly help. Hopefully they can start relying on the defense to help them, you know, be competitive in games and maybe win games even on defense and not just have the offense have to outscore the other team like they did each week last year. So I, I, the defense, you know, if the defense can do that, um, then this team's going to be absolutely fine. If they can't, then, because I do think the offense is going to take a step back because they produced at such a historic clip that that's not really sustainable. Right. Um, so they are going to take a little, a little dip back to the median. I still think they're going to be a top five offense, but um, if their defense uh, is continuing to not um, do its end of the bargain, uh, then maybe this uh, is a team that will suffer the Super Bowl hangover, unfortunately. But 
that remains to be seen. Well, it'll be definitely be an interesting story to watch. They're in what is suddenly one of the more interesting divisions uh, in football. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers seem poised to make a move. Can the Panthers, you know, reemerge and be what they were in 2015 again? You know, does Drew Brees have one more left in him? You know, all the, the offenses in that division alone, I mean, especially with the potential on the side of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, adding O.J. Howard and Deshaun Jackson, right. it could be a really, really interesting division to keep an eye on, which is what makes that last five out of six games for uh, Atlanta more daunting the more you think about it. So uh, it's definitely going to be interesting uh, to watch. So I'm definitely going to keep a close eye on you guys after uh, week one when you come to Chicago and hopefully take it easy on us. Uh, you know, <laughs> try not to kill us too bad. Uh, I mean, your last visit to Chicago was not a kind one that I remember. So no. hopefully and, it will and be that started the season too. So. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, hopefully it'd be more of that than, you know, <laughs> I mean, cause you lost the first game of the year last year and you were fine. So if you go ahead and do that again, right. That no, would be, you're right. You know, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Get the bears off to a one and zero start and, you know, you guys can, you know, take it out on the Packers on Sunday night football in the new stadium. I mean, that would work for me. <laughs> so, but um, we'd love to have you back on um, before the, before week one, talk about the preseason. Who's the, who's left standing? Are there any injuries that have shaked up the, the roster or anything like that and see what we got going into the start of the season? Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd look forward to that. All right. So uh, Matt Carley, it's uh, bloggingdirty uh, dot com uh, for a fan sighted. Are you on a podcast at all? I mean, it's, I mean, who doesn't have a podcast no, these days? No, but, we are. Uh, go ahead. We it it's been talked it's been talked about, and hopefully, Blogging Dirty uh, in the very near future has one. But as of now, uh, we do not. So, I am not. Okay, so you're just gonna have to read his words instead of listening to his words. But uh, we'll have him back on uh, week one. Matt Carley from BloggingDirty.com. Thanks so much uh, for helping us out and previewing the Falcons. Yeah, thanks again, Larry, for having me. I appreciate it. Matt Carley from bloggingdirty.com from uh, Fansided, um, part of uh, Sports Illustrated, which is pretty cool. Um, you can check him out uh, on the uh, website. Like you said, the guys don't have a uh, podcast going for the site just yet, but uh, I'm sure they'll get that going as soon as they can. I mean, who you know who doesn't have a podcast nowadays? But uh, you know, so they'll the, he says they're working on it. So uh, one of these days, maybe here in the near future, Blog and Dirty have its own. Uh, podcast to talk about the Atlanta Falcons from their uh, perspective but um, really had fun talking to him looking forward to having him back to preview week one which is uh, I think I saw like 67 days away or something like that I saw that on Twitter you know people showing the different uh, jersey numbers and so on and so forth today was uh, 60 67 we're in the 60s less than two months less than two months or right at right at two months actually today's the fifth you know First game of the season is October, October. I God help me if that's true. Uh, September, September the 10th, week one for our beloved at home against the Atlanta Falcons. So, yeah, just the, what, like 65 days, something like that. It's in the 60s. So we're we're getting at just under two months, uh, you know, right at uh, just over two months. And before you know it, it'll, it'll, it'll all be here and it'll be time to rock and roll. So uh, looking forward to having that conversation when the preseason closes out. 
you know, who made the roster, any surprise cuts, so on and so forth, and, uh, you know, get things rolling with the uh, 2017 uh, regular season. Um, um, couple of announcements before we go. Um, we're done with the NFC South now, so we're in the home stretch with the NFC North. Chris Gates from the Daily Norseman. Uh, I'll be talking to him on Friday, so that show will most likely be out Saturday, maybe Sunday at the latest to give this episode a day or two to, to breathe before I hit you guys with another one. Then we're going to have Jeremy Reisman and Evan Western on next week to close out the division and um, still trying to figure out what I want to do for the Bears show. If I want to do anything special for it, I want to bring in Lauren Cox again, see if we can get Def Jeff Dickerson back, or maybe we'll uh, see if we can reel in a different fish. Who knows? But, uh, you know, going to give it the old college try and see what I can uh, – See what I can do, if I can work any magic uh, to preview the Bears uh, this time around for the 14th and final episode before we take a little break. And then, uh, you know, that break will end after the Bears and the Broncos kick things off in the preseason week number one. So uh, once we get done previewing the Bears, you won't hear from me again until we're uh, until we're reviewing that first preseason game to see how we looked. And obviously the big question is going to be, you know, in the first preseason game, how did Trubisky look? You know, how much did he play uh, in that first game, so on and so forth? And, uh, you know, <laughs> are there Bear fans already calling for him to start after his performance against third and fourth stringers uh, in the first preseason game? So we'll, uh, well, I look forward to uh, answering those uh, questions. So, um, so yeah, we're going to have our old friends. Chris Gates will be up first. Jeremy Reisman for the Lions, Evan Western for the Packers to close out the NFC North, and then uh, whoever I can uh, whoever I can reel into the boat to uh, help me with the Bears and uh, previewing this, you know, reviewing this offseason for one, and then going into the season and, and what we think we have ahead of us. And and I think that I just might go ahead and get Lauren Cox because him him and maybe even uh, maybe him and uh, maybe I can get more than one of those guys on there. Brian Perez. Or even, uh, uh, you know, Lauren does a show as well, a podcast, uh, and his co-host Phil, maybe get those guys on the show because all offseason, all they wanted was a quarterback. Quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Deshaun Watson in particular, which drove me insane throughout the offseason. And I think that I might just go ahead and have ask them to come back on the show just so they can explain to me why. Okay, because I to today actually there was one of the comments that I got on Facebook actually that didn't uh, that didn't help my you know rating or anything like that, but it was nice to see if you know that Facebook comment where um, you know here it is from Jared Waring, uh, yo man I'd give I give you four out of five stars if I knew how to give ratings <laughs> or four point five out of five stars. Only reason you don't get five is because you keep dogging the draft. So I thought that was pretty funny. But, uh, you know, I do keep dogging the draft. And I look forward to anyone who spent any time with me listening to this show knows that um, when it comes to the Bears, they have to prove me wrong because I hate being right. You know, I, I, I have a very pessimistic attitude when it comes to this team as far as, you know, it, it's almost like, a, the, like the mentality I had with the Cubs. You know, they're going to let me down. It's just a matter of when or how, you know, kind of thing. And this offseason for me was a huge, huge letdown. 
I thought the draft would be able to salvage it. And in my opinion, it'll make things worse as far as what I was hoping for this team in 2017. All the things that I had hoped for, like, you know, my little wish list as far as the offseason goes, um, that none, none of it really happened, like, at all. So, um, you know, but Lauren Cox and those guys over at Bears Wire, this was probably like a dream offseason for them as far as, you know, Ryan Pace going out and number one, getting rid of Cutler and then going out and getting Trubisky uh, in the draft. So, you know, I want to talk to one of the guys drinking the Kool-Aid and to find out, uh, you know, why they were thinking that and were they one of the few happy people uh, on draft day. So uh, maybe those, maybe I'll just go ahead and and, and see about getting them back on the show so they can explain that to me. Maybe they can talk me uh, off the ledge, you know, as far as, uh, you know, trying to make me a believer. It, it probably won't work. I can pretty much attest to the fact that it won't work. This is going to be a, um, you know, the, the Bears are going to have to prove me wrong uh, on this one because I don't want to be right. I, I don't want to be right in thinking that this draft class was a mistake. You know, um, like I said, I've, I've said all along, I don't have a problem with Trubisky. If I had to have a quarterback in this draft, I would say that he was the one that I wanted. But, you know, I've said a million times, I just don't think the Bears are ready for him yet. You know, uh, best case scenario, he won't see the field uh, this year. So, you know, but then again, that's also a waste because, you know, the Bears are in a position where we need impact players. Players are going to help us now. And, you know, I just don't really see anybody in the draft class that's going to be able to do that. Maybe Shaheen, if he gets a chance, maybe Eddie Jackson. But, you know, right off the bat, those guys aren't going to be day one starters, or at least I don't think they will be anyway and we needed to come away with some starters like we had in 2015 and 2016 with your Leonard Floyds and your Cody Whitehairs uh and 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 so on so you're ready Goldman's and and everything guys that are going to come in and play right now and help build this team up the way Ryan Pace wants to through the draft and we just drafted a bunch of guys that are wait and see players and uh, that's why I was upset about it that's why I keep dogging the draft even now so and then finally my last uh announcement may come as a bit of a shock to some of you but um, I think I'm going to be introducing a brand new logo at the start of the regular season. Um, turns out that the one that I created last fall, um, the, the bear head specifically, I, it's an image that I bought off of um, one of those, um, one of those, I forget which one, I, I, I subscribe to a couple of them. Um, you know, like as, as many times as I tried to draw the bear head a specific way, I just couldn't uh, get it right. So I went out and I looked at one of those imaging uh, sites and I was and I found that bear head. Well, it turns out that one of the groups that I belong to on Facebook, um, uh, Bear Down UK, has been using that bear head logo since like 2013. And, um, you know, so I'm going to go ahead and change the logo so they're not the same. And uh, probably uh, debut it uh, for the week one of the regular season. So be on the lookout uh, for that. If I stick with the one that I have now, I'm pretty happy with it. But I'm going to take my time and uh, and see because it's kind of a big deal, you know, making changes uh, like that and uh, see if this is the one that I'm going to stick with or if I can find something or create something that I like better. So be on the lookout for, for a new logo. Still going to stick with the with the circle shield and, you know, the Chicago bears of you with this, with the four stars representing Chicago in it and everything. But I think I'm going to approach the bear a little bit differently than I have uh, in the past. So be on the lookout uh, for that. So don't know why I felt like announcing that now, because probably won't see it for another two months, but 
just felt compelled to tell you that I'm going to be changing the uh, logo with the start of the 2017 season. A new dawn, a new logo, and we'll go forward from there. So anyway, that's going to do it for the uh, for this episode of the Chicago Bears Review, part four of the NFC South. Let's close the book on that. We'll open things up on the NFC North, get ready to plow through that, get through the rest of this godforsaken summer and into the preseason and regular season so we can see was Larry D. wrong about this draft class? I'll be happy to be wrong. Thrilled to be wrong about it. I don't mind being wrong about these things, but I, I don't think I am, at least not right now anyway. So looking forward to being proven wrong by this rookie class and uh, having to eat my words as the season goes along and they all contribute in some manner uh, or another. So, But come on back this weekend. It'll be me and Chris Gates kicking off the NFC North preview with the Minnesota Vikings. So until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Chicago Bears Review.